Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will, will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you, have not been, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know about you, but when I read that story, I was a little confused. I, I, I questioned, what's going on here? It reminded me of, of sayings that I've heard before that confused me. Yogi Berra is famous for his popular sayings that, that can be confusing. He said one time, nobody goes there anymore. It's just too crowded. Or if you don't know where you're going, you might end up in the wrong place. Okay. Have you ever walked away from a conversation or somebody told you something and you just kind of scratch your head and say, what was that about? I don't, I don't quite get it. I, uh, I, I did some investigation on things that are confusing. I wanted to see just how far I could take this. I found out there's actually a website called confused.com. And all they do is they... they kind of research things that are confusing. And they did a survey recently in the UK. They asked 5,000 adults, what are the most confusing things in life? Interesting things. First, the most confusing thing the people, people in the UK, they said, is foreign call centers. If 
you've ever been stuck in a foreign call center trying to get something fixed, it can be tough. Second was algebra. Now, in the UK, they're uh, they're sporting fanatics of, of certain sports like cricket. They admit that the rules of cricket are one of the most confusing things. And I always thought it was just me because I was American. But I'm also a soccer player, and they admit that the offsides rule in soccer is one of the most confusing things. And if you've ever had kids play soccer or you've played soccer, you get like, why is that not offsides? Or how is that offsides? Now, as an American, I have to throw in there the most confusing rules now are the catch-no-catch no catch rule in the NFL. Agree? Right. Confusing. Yeah, there's going to be a clap. So um, there's a game happening later today, team wearing blue in Dallas. Let's all root for them. No, I know the Colts are playing at 1 o'clock too. Um, confusing things are interesting in life, but when they come to us in the Bible it makes it even a little bit more uncomfortable that something's confusing because we want to know exactly what's happening, what's going on here. But Jesus uses a teaching method that can often be confusing, and that's the parable. Now, the reason that Jesus uses parables is to make us think on a deeper level. Did you ever want Jesus to just give you rules and just give you, here's seven things to do to be in the kingdom of God, and here's five ways to be a good church, and here's ten ways to know that you're following God the way you're supposed to, but Jesus didn't do that. He taught in parables, and this is kind of an Eastern thought way of teaching. We're so used to our Western ways of teaching. We want to know the right answer. Just tell me the theorem. Tell me, the, tell me the, um, the, uh, all the rules and I'll follow all the rubrics and all the, the, the matrix and, and all the template. Just give it to me like that. And, and Jesus didn't do that. You know, his disciples would say, Jesus, tell us, you know, um, what, what are we supposed to do with uh, the kingdom of God? And Jesus, and Jesus wouldn't give them a list of rules. He'd say, well, it's kind of like a farmer who had some seeds or if they'd say, Jesus, what about the lost? And he'd say, well, it's kind of like a lady who had 10 coins and she lost one. And so this is the way parables, go, parables um, teach us. They make us kind of live into a story and, and see how can we make this a part of our story. Now, what makes this even more confusing is that it talks about money. Now, when you come to church and you hear about money, all of a sudden everybody starts to get a little bit uncomfortable. And you think, ah, I don't really, you know, can you just teach me about the Jesus stuff? You know, don't talk to me about money. Don't talk to me about my sexuality. Just talk to me about the Jesus stuff. But Jesus knew what was important to us. And he taught about money more than anything else in Scripture. Jesus and the topic of money. Jesus knew what is closest to our hearts. Our stuff. Oftentimes our stuff is what we think is most important. What we, what we make into our God with the little G. The things that we think are going to make us healthy and wealthy and wise. The things that are going to give us security in life. The things that are going to give us power is our stuff. I want to talk about money for just a second. What is money? I mean... What is this $100 bill other than just a piece of paper that's got some pretty cool pictures on it and it's got watermarks and all kinds of security devices? What is this $100 bill? It represents something. It represents my ability to get more stuff. I mean, with this bill, I can't do much with it. I can fold it up into an origami character or something, but I can't eat it. I can't keep warm with it. 
uh, but I can use this money for a purpose. And that's what Jesus is talking about today. What is the purpose of our money? And what is the purpose of our stuff? What are we doing with it? And in this story, we see that there is a manager that is uh, given some stuff to take care of by the master. And the master has all the stuff. And the master in our story can be a picture of, of our God. Because all the stuff in the world is God's. I mean, God created everything. He created the, the paper that was, uh, the, the, the trees and whatever else it took to make this paper. Do you think God's up in heaven going, wow, that's a $100 bill. That's pretty cool. No. All the stuff in the world is God's. And as the maker of it all, he has an idea of how it's to be used. And so we get to our story today. Jesus tells the story in Luke 16 of the shrewd manager or the dishonest manager. And right away, I mean, just by the title, and by the way, Jesus didn't title his stories. He didn't say, okay, by the way, now this is going to be the parable of the seeds. Now it's going to be the parable. This was added later by your uh, publishers of the Bible. So in one place, it's called the shrewd manager. In other places, it's called the dishonest manager. And, and so right away, you say, this is confusing. Is he shrewd or is he dishonest? And what makes him one or the other. But he tells, says there's a master that has this certain amount of property. And he has a manager who's taking care of his goods, his property. And word gets to the master that the manager has not been using the property wisely. Has not been using the property the way that the master wants the property to be used. And so the owner of the property goes to the manager and says, you've lost your job. I've heard that you're not using my wealth the way that I want it used. You need to give an account. So the manager, now lost his job, says, what am I going to do? I can't work. I don't want to beg. I know what I'll do. I will go and develop my relationships with the others that owe the master money. And so he goes to the first gentleman and says, how much do you owe the master? And he says, 800 gallons of olive oil. And he says, quickly, mark that off and make it 400. Cut it in half. Now you only owe 400. He goes to the next, uh, next person and says, how much do you owe the master? And he says, I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat. And he says, mark it off, make it 800. You just got a 20% discount. The owner of the property hears what this manager has been doing. And what does he do? This is the confusing part. You'd think he'd be mad. How, why are you getting rid of my stuff? And he, instead, he commends the man for the way that he's now using the master's money. He commends him because this master has been seeking his future uh, relationships. He's building relationships with those around him so that in his future he has a place to stay. He will be welcomed into their homes. And so we say, what in the world is Jesus teaching here? Is he teaching us to cook the books? Is that what he wants? We've got to look at the context. First of all, Jesus is doing a lot of teaching and parables here in this section of Luke. And right before this, the very previous parable that Jesus tells is the parable of the prodigal son. We all know this parable pretty well, where the, the father has a son who wants half of his inheritance, wants his all of his inheritance, which is half of the father's wealth. He goes out and he squanders it. Sounds familiar. In this story, somebody has the master's wealth 
and squanders it, does not use it the way that he should. And then the son in the story has to go out and try to get work or even beg for food or eat with the pigs. In this other story, the man realizes he's not going to be able to do those things. Why does he tell these stories back to back? Well, Jesus in the first story of the prodigal son is teaching a message about the goodness of God. He's teaching actually to the Pharisees and the, and the scribes and the Sadducees, and he's teaching them that there is a heavenly father that loves you, even though you have squandered his wealth, even though you have not treated the people of God the way that you're supposed to, there is a loving father with arms wide open that wants to welcome you back. And then after telling that story of a father's love and a father's mercy, he turns to the people that are a part of God's kingdom. And he tells them this story. And the underlying hero of this story again is the mercy of the master. Because first of all, the master could have thrown the man in prison for what he had done, but he doesn't. He gives him time to go and make right his accounts. And what does the man do? With urgency, he goes out and he says, quickly, change this. He realizes there's a day of reckoning coming. And Jesus is teaching that as the people of God, we have been given this great wealth of our Father. And he wants us to use that for his purposes. And one day there's a day of reckoning coming when God's going to say, how did you use what I've given to you? We also see the mercy of the master on display. Because did you think about it? If, you, if somebody came to you and said, hey, how much do you owe on your credit card? I tell you what, why don't you just cut it in half? You'd be like, I don't think that's legal. I don't think this is going to work. But the people don't question. Apparently, the master has been known for his mercy. Apparently, he's done this before where he's, he's cut the debt. And so in two different instances, the people realize, okay, that sounds good. Maybe that's the way the master wants to do it. We'll cut that in half. We'll cut it by 20%. And the final way we see the master and the mercy of the master on display is that this servant realizes that if he does things the way the master wants things done, he's going to be treated better. And so you say, wait a second, why doesn't the master come to him and say, why did you do this with my money? And you have to question, what does the master want done with his money? What's the purpose of the master's money? And if the master wants to get rich and have more money, then yes, the man squandered the money. But if the owner of the property has a different goal for his money, what if the owner of the property wants people to be in relationship with each other? What if the owner of the money wants people to be thinking about their eternal destiny and that they should be using their money to build relationships so that more and more other people can be welcomed into an eternal relationship with their heavenly father? And Jesus, right after this sermon, he says, if only the people of light were as shrewd as the people of the world, if only the people in my kingdom were as wise with their resources for the purposes of God as the people are in the world who use their resources for their purposes to get rich, to be famous, to be secure. If only the people of God would realize the purposes of stuff to build relationships, eternal relationships, 
You see, the people of the world wake up every day saying, how can I get more stuff? How can I be more wealthy? How can I be more powerful? And Jesus says, we as the people of God need to wake up every day saying, how can I be about God and his kingdom? How can I be about using the stuff that God has given to me so that more and more people can be in a relationship with God? That's what's commended in this story. All that we have comes from God. So we have to say, Lord, how do you want me to use this stuff? How can I be living out in my life the purpose that you have for me? To wrap up this story, it's easy when you first read it to say this is just an injustice. I mean, this steward totally did what he wasn't supposed to do. By That wasn't his money to write off. That wasn't his money to give away. I mean, this is just not right. We want to point the finger at him and say he didn't act ethically because he, he gave away something that wasn't his. Those people should have had to pay their debt. But the greatest injustice and the greatest story of debt that's been written off that the world has ever seen is Jesus Christ himself. The one who has come to look at our debt to the Father, to the Master, and say, hey, take that and write it off completely. Not 50%, not 20%. I want you to write it off completely. And that debt that you owe, I'm going to pay it for you. The greatest injustice in the world, the one who was without sin, took our sin upon himself as he went to the cross. He paid our debt, the one that we deserved. And aren't we so thankful that he has done what that steward did for you and for me? He said, what's your debt? It's gone. I've taken it. As we finish, or as we continue in this sermon series on mercy, may we see the greatest mercy ever in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And he gives us this awesome picture. And he says that the steward was doing this so that others might welcome him into their home. What if one day, When we get to heaven, we are welcomed into that eternal dwelling by those that we had an influence over through our stuff, by the people that were welcomed into the kingdom of God because we were generous. That's what Jesus says. That's what you have to look forward to. So may we as the people of God, as stewards of all that God has given to us, may we we be about using those resources for his purposes, because he has an eternal home waiting for you and for me as well. To the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ, in his name, amen.